This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive, but necessary, and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapist, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. It's Friday. It's been a big week for us. Thanks for being back with us on the podcast. You may have noticed Elantra Inn, Civic Type R, cool mountain road in California, because, of course, all the mountain roads here are closed because they're snowed in. So we went to California, shot that. It's on the main channel. We hope you've seen it. This was a fun piece. It really was. There's so much commentary that didn't make the final piece. Lots, yeah. We really broke down a lot of the differences, and you might say the Type N, the Elantra Type N, sorry, the Elantra N. The I like the Elantra N. Type N. Type N. That, it should have, that would have been type better. R, that would have been better. Much the better. The Elantra N doesn't yes. really compare it. It is kind of between the SI and the Type R as far as price. But they have definitely built something that competes with the Civic Type R. So if you haven't seen That's that. That's been the case for a while, yeah. We were just talking. As of this recording, not many enthusiasts have purchased a Type R yet, a brand new one. They're not really out there quite yet. They will be in the future. There will be enthusiasts. They will mm. Acquire yeah. them. So we're getting a lot of comments from Elantra N owners because mm-hmm. it's been out for 18 months or so who love their Elantra N. They want to know what it compares against. And so this is that video. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see a lot of comments about Elantra N owners jumping on. And mm-hmm. I think soon we'll get uh, Civic Type R owners jumping on too. Hopefully. I mean, there's actually some angry comments on this piece already because we don't talk about the car like it's a sixty or $70,000 car because of potential markups for the Civic Type R. Well, and something and gonna, we can't control. I'm going to say again, we, we can only talk about it for what the person that made it, the manufacturer's suggested price is for the car. That's all we can go on is the sheet that's handed to us, the, you, the Monroney. You know what it's like? It's like saying, this happened in, in Salt Lake here a while back. Garth Brooks came to Salt Lake. This is a couple years ago. Okay. And every ticket was 90 bucks. Oh, now, okay. Now, that was the only way for the news to report it. Every ticket ticket will be sold for ninety dollars. Okay. Most people, including myself and my family, did not go to Garth Brooks for ninety dollars. Okay. Because a bunch of people bought the tickets and resold them, and they didn't sell them for ninety bucks. Oh, right. And that right. annoys me just as much as a, as a your local dealer charging you more for a car they didn't make. Okay, it annoys me every yeah. bit as much. Yeah. But. This is the reality, but at the same time, could the news have reported how much those tickets are going to be? No, because they don't know. They have well, no idea. Exactly. All they can do is this is what the ticket will sell for. This is what the car will sell for yeah. in this case. We cannot get ahead of these markups. We know they exist. We hate them, I, I swear to you, more than you do. <laughs> but what I find kind of surprising, and generally I'm just kind of surprised going, okay, is people that are angry at us for not talking about the car as anything more I, than the MSRP. All I can say yeah. is the MSRPs are $10,000 difference, and that's fascinating at a $10,000 difference. I right. will tell you right now, I'll, I'll go out on a limb. Uh-oh. If the Civic Type R is a sixty or $70,000 car, don't buy it. It's not a sixty or $70,000 car. True. Full True. stop. Yeah. And if it is that much more than the Elantra N, please buy an Elantra N. Okay. There, I mean, <laughs> right. there's not even a debate. There's right. no reason to even I, do that video. Yeah. That could be a short. We could film it right now, sitting at the podcast, and be done. <laughs> but we got to talk about it as they're intended. And this is what happens. I mean, it happened to the Focus RS. Happens to a lot of these specialty cars is they get marked up, and that's what kills them. And it makes me sad. Yes, markups have gone on for a long time, especially when cars are in demand and they're new. They will. This will continue. I'm with you. I hate it. I can't stand seeing that, and there's not a thing we can do about it. But what you can do is go watch the video. Yes, you can. Leave a comment. We'd love to know what you think. Please watch, and that is on our original channel. Also, good news, everyone. Porsche has debuted the Vision 357, the 357, which is an homage (laughs) Mm. to the original 356. Okay. And guess what? It's built over the top of a Cayman GT4 RS. So that means there's one less Cayman GT4 RS in the world? No, 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 no. Because no. that, that, that is Porsche. a tragedy. No, that's no, a tragedy. No, no. They, that's, I don't think that's what Porsche did. They, <laughs> they, built the, they took all the stuff with okay. the Cayman, right, and they right, used yep. this to build the show car. Got it, all right. Now, this is very much a concept, mm-hmm. and it does have a lot of 356 flavors. You've seen a hardtop 356. There's mm-hmm. some 911 flavors in there, too. I mean, yep. 911 grew it out the of the 356. Yeah, it was, yeah. So this is my jam because I love the shape of the 911, <laughs> okay. but yet I love the mid-engine, especially the GT4 RS Cayman with the 500 horsepower engine. Mm-hmm. I would love to think Porsche is listening or somebody from Porsche is listening because I've said for a while that I think there needs to be a more attainable entry-level Porsche. 
Sub Cayman Boxster. Yes. So like 35, 40 grand to start. I was maybe not that low because it is Porsche, but, well, but I was by thinking, the time you buy one, it'll be 65. Well, by the time I was hoping for 50, 55. Okay. I was hoping for 50. Okay. But an engine, still mid engine, mm-hmm. with 911 flavors and this size, they could go maybe slightly smaller, but I, I understand they just took the Cayman and built on top of it. An engine that makes 275 horsepower and it's 50 grand. And it's a true driver's car from Porsche. Mm. And it looks like this. Mm. That is special because it would really compete against the GR86 in between that and the Supra. Mm -hmm. It would compete against all the two series BMWs. It would be a true aspirational entry level driver's car. You see the cup series Mm -hmm. is starting in 2023 this year from Toyota with the GR86. The Miata is just huge in terms of racing. Sure, it's sure. It's series. Interesting. Aftermarket I see where you're parts. going. Sure, you could tune it up. Sure, you could add a lot of power, mm-hmm. but something that's even lighter. I'm thinking sub 2,900 pounds. So you want something like 26, 2,800 pounds. I love this that's idea, the but recipe. I'd love it to be like Porsche math now. I'd love it to be the starting price on the website is 45,999, and the way you'll really get it fair. is 55 to 60 by the time you check box one. Okay, fair enough. You know, because the, the, the Boxsters and Caymans, they start just over 60 and go up precipitously i mean don't don't check a box steeply. don't check a box everything goes up steeply but, from there but at sure, the same but time but yeah that would be interesting below three thousand pounds i i i take your this point mid 200 it would be interesting i also think it's fascinating with this 357 that they've um they've made a car that looks rear-engined and isn't kind of but that shape implies <laughs> rear engine i know it we're does. all used to that i know nobody's used yes. to that shape saying even though the first 356 was mid-engined was it the very first concept was mid-engine? Because the way the way you they actually are is they're very rear engine. They're very rear engine. I mean, they're like scary that rear engine. Homage, yeah. it's it's on the Porsche okay. newsroom site. So okay. the first, uh, I believe it was one of the concepts. The very early 356 cars that okay. spawned the 356 was still mid-engine. That's why this speaks to me. So I love that 911, that sloping fastback shape. Sure. With the 356, the hips. Look at the the direct rear <laughs> You're elevation. You're so excited. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I think it's take the seventy five graphics off. Take mm-hmm. just make it pink color. Uh-huh. Make this thing interesting and real. Ooh, this is intriguing. It's like the GR eighty six with really great horsepower at two seventy five, two eighty. Sure, somewhere in there doesn't necessarily need to be turboed. Yeah, this is interesting to me. I there are people that are how do I put this um, nicely um, religious about the three fifty six. That, there, that are, there, there are there people are people yes. it is quite cultish over there in 356 land and and so this is interesting because here's what is actually possible a really nice 356 with some prominence probably would cost less than this concept uh, I mean, more, sorry, more than this concept would be cheaper well, than yeah, that would be yeah, because the, the, is. there is such a cult behind it. This is obviously a much more modern idea, but I, I like that Porsche plays with this stuff. I mean, there was that book. I think you bought it. There was that book a while back where Porsche put in a book form all of the designs they didn't do. Yes, I bought it. Yes, of course you did. And I haven't seen it, but I know you have it. I just knew. You haven't deep seen in my it? Heart. I haven't showed it to you? Yeah, deep in my heart, I knew you had it. Anyway, uh, but... but <laughs> I have to show this book uh, to you. Th- there's some really cool concepts that Porsche has done through the years and never followed up on, and I feel like this is one of those, but I agree with you. It'd be interesting if this spawned a we talked about it last time how Porsches all have to look like 911s what if this spawned the baby Porsche that would be fascinating I'm with you on that also interesting news from Toyota they've announced the first executive change in 14 years Akio Toyota is stepping down from the CEO role to become chairman Mm. which is kind of an up that's not really a lateral move it's chairman is up isn't it chairman (laughs) is not down but it's it's the it's the like the emeritus CEO it's it's like we, we have we have to get you out of the chair but yet we can't demote you. That's what this is. I guess so. That this happens to me. Chairman com- is always like Frank Sinatra was the chairman. He was the man. But well, that means you're, like, he, oh. but that means he's now sitting. He's he's the chairman. <laughs> he's going to sit, not be involved directly. New CEO. Yes. Koji Sato will become president and CEO on April 1st, 2023. I hope they've realized that, that it's that April Fool's seems Day. Seems like an April Fool's <clears> Day. <throat> is it going to be the, the Bob Iger thing where, just kidding, I'm sticking around? <laughs> right, yeah, uh-huh. right. Mr. Sato, Sato-san, comes from developing parts and components for the Corolla sedan and Prius hybrid. He was the top engineer for the Lexus brand and promoted to run Lexus until 2020 and later added the chief branding officer title. And so he's worked on Toyota cars, hydrogen fuel, zero emissions tech. He's... Been with Toyota a long time. Yeah. And so now he's going to be the top dog 
interesting. It's very interesting to see what, if anything, this changes at the company because uh, Mr. Toyota has been in there for a while, and he is the reason that the car, we were talking about this last time too, the reason that the company changed so much in the last 20 years to be concerned about their cars looking good and driving great versus being very reliable appliances, which was like the the, the season of Toyota before he took charge. Mm-hmm. So now that he's mm-hmm. stepping back or up or sideways, what to become the chairman, what what changes come here as a result? Akio Toyota is the guy that brought the GR name back. I mean, Marizo was his yeah. race name. Yep. And I love that he had motorsports as the inspiration mm-hmm. to bring great sports cars back. Whether or not they're, they're collaborations, that doesn't matter. He, no, but he that, yeah. forced that and pushed that through. And I hope that continues with modern tech, modern materials. Wonderful. But I, I hope Sato-san continues that kind of thinking. It's a new year, and we want to talk to you guys about a lot of new products from our friends at Griot's Garage. I'm going to start with the 3-in-1 Wheel, Tire, and Mat Cleaner. Did you hear it? It cleans wheels, tires, and mats with one thing. It's a non-acidic formula that cuts brake dust, road grime on wheels, tires, and rubber formats. They have a cool picture of you using a brush to clean all of the above. That is awesome. Water Spot Remover. Guess what that does? That removes water spots on all exterior surfaces. Don't forget ceramic metal polish, which restores and brightens and protects common metal surfaces and leaves a finish like you've never seen before. And then there's the Citrus All-Purpose Cleaner, a concentrated, powerful, non-foaming cleaner for both exteriors and interiors. Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed and all liquid products are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's Griot's, G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Tyler D. in Indiana writes a six-page email to us. <laughs> Please don't send us a six-page six, email. Six pages. It's a there, long there, email. There's, there's been some condensing happening here, yes. There has. Mm. The reason is he wants a total garage refresh. Uh-huh. But Tyler, I really appreciate your writing. I'm glad that you've discovered the podcast and that we're part of your day. Yes. Thank you. He's looking for the clean sweep two-car refresh. His minister of finance is named Rachel. She is fine taking on his current car as the hand-me-down, but then he's going to want to replace that in a few years. But we're just concentrating on one car for now. Yeah, that's the thing where this gets a little into the weeds and confusing because we're actually – there's three cars in play, but two of them potentially are staying – because he has an old Mitsubishi Montero that is not worth anything, so why sell it? That is kind of the beat-around truck. Mm-hmm. He has mm-hmm. a paid-off Cadillac ATS all-wheel drive. That's going to become his Minister of Finance's car. So we have waiting in the wings what's been her car, a 214,000-mile 2008 Jeep Liberty that is definitely out because Tyler is looking for something new for him. But you're right. Ultimately, there's trickle-down here, and we could wipe the whole thing away in the next year or so. We could. Well, Tyler talks about this Mitsubishi Montero that he got. He says it's not worth selling it because it wouldn't even cover sales tax on the replacement for it, (laughs) and he's not ready to be done with it, and it's taught him a lot of maintenance. He has every maintenance record since it was sold in Alaska, and he uses it to trailer jet skis and dirt bikes and goes camping with it, drives on sand dunes, and the occasional road trip. But it's high miles. It's 214,000 miles on that thing. But he bought it for $1,800. Yeah. And it runs great anytime he needs it. And as he said, it is worth nothing. Selling it doesn't change his budget for a new thing. It does not. And so and, and the problem is if he sells that one, the Montero, he gets rid of that, then what is the thing that does all that dirty hauling duty? Right. And then we have to kind of burden whatever his new fun road trip commute car is with, oh, by the way, it needs to tow dirty stuff too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. actually keeping it makes some sense here because it actually financially is like, yeah, just make that one dirty. That's fine. Agreed. Well, your minister of finances vehicle is this Jeep Liberty with high miles that you inherited from your father-in-law. This needs to go. <laughs> it's apparently going because she's inheriting your Cadillac. Mm-hmm. It is the 2.0, 2013 ATS 2.0, all-wheel drive, right? So she's getting that, and now we need to search for the first car for you. But mm-hmm. the gist of the email is that he's got, ultimately, for two cars over the next two years, about seventy-five grand to spend. Yeah. But that's money that it, I don't know that he has earmarked yet or has in cash yet. Mm-hmm. That's kind of down the road. What we're looking at is about $40,000 for right now, sure. somewhere in that range, for a car that, from the gist of all six pages, he really wants to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. He is less 
interested in an, an enthusiast, high-strung, powerful sports car. <laughs> he kind of stopped himself then, and went, am I writing the wrong podcast? <laughs> yeah, he did. He, he did realize this halfway through, yeah. <laughs> but he said, I'm interested in efficiency mm-hmm. over a lot of power and reliability over something crazy and hot. And he wants it to be a very quiet, comfortable easygoing, great place to be. It's a respite car and a road trip car. I totally see that. Yeah. I've got the the craziest wild card that I've ever come up with for really? your debate, Tyler. Interesting. I love that you gave us your, your car history, the exact things you want from your car. Reliability was really high on your list, but you also wrote to us that you love preventative maintenance and you won't skip it. And you're not afraid to rack up miles on German cars. Mm-hmm. So that helped me. I'm sure. He also said that because this budget is a bit of a gray area, he's looking at 40 now, but he said that could, that scale could move maybe 75 total, but maybe we spend 50 now and less money later once the Cadillac goes away and they get something else. And your budget could change a little bit later on. Well, and the Cadillac could stay too. I mean, he thinks that's true. That's the other thing because he thinks that the Cadillac right now it's a hand-me-down, but his minister of finance likes it. So it's not like in a year he has to get rid of it either. He thinks it's probably time, but I also think, because I went another way. I looked at that. I, I, I pulled a Paul. I looked at that <laughs> $75,000 total budget, and I just thought, okay, we've got a sliding scale in the middle of seventy five grand. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started to think about what's the car that gets every single, single one of his requirements done and so well that the Cadillac gets driven occasionally when it's necessary, and so does the Montero when those jobs are needed. And otherwise, this is the car they just lean on. And his requirements, he was pretty strict. He said, he wants level two self-driving. That's lane keep assist and adaptive cruise control. He considers these a must. He actually loves them on long drives and road trips, which is where this car is going to be used a lot. He wants it to be very comfortable. He said, mm-hmm. please do not send me a sports suspension. He doesn't want one. He wants comfort. Of course, now I'm thinking Phaeton, but don't buy a Phaeton. Don't buy a Do Phaeton. not buy a Phaeton. But to be fair, there's many cars that have the setting, and their, yes. their suspension can be switched between sport and comfort and eco. Absolutely. So that's he fine. wants it to be fuel efficient. He, he actually said a sentence that I was kind of surprised to read. Fuel efficiency over sheer power. Now, he likes power. He likes that it's that it's that whoosh. He likes that mm-hmm, kind of power, that, mm-hmm. that that passing power at autobahn speeds. That's what he likes. Yes. But yes. efficiency is more important than brute brute power. Value is worthwhile and reliability again is a sliding scale because he's not afraid to work on stuff. He also says that hybrids are fascinating. He mm. really like one. But big, smooth Lexus V8s have a special place in his heart. Sure. He loves inline sixes. Those have intrigued him. But battery electric vehicles are highly sought after and not friendly to his budget. His commute is perfect for a PHEV. And he's got a wall in his garage just waiting for a 240-volt charger. Mm. He wants value, though. The constant battle of wanting to own many different vehicles is at war with his financial (laughs) frugality and knowing he won't get sales tax money back with a new set of keys. But then you get a new set of keys, Tyler. We, we, we all do true, have this true. disease. We're all like, yeah, but I could have the new thing. And it can, new can just be different, but it is different. Have you seen the keys I have today? My <laughs> wife is frustrated now because between the press cars and the sports cars and her car, our key rack is a mess. She's like, we're going to have to get one of those, like, open the door, and it's got, like, a valet box. Like she's, a dealership. She keeps talking about we're going to have to get a valet box by the door because she's like, which keys do I even need? Uh, we're getting to that place. <laughs> He says reliability is really high on his list. He's got a medium to high pain tolerance for maintenance. Like I said, he's going to take care of this car, whatever he gets. And because you're so averse to paying sales tax, when you finally do, you're going to be taking care of this car and you're likely going to have it for a while. Mm -hmm. You've got two cars with 214,000 miles on them. Yes. You don't, (laughs) you haven't put all those miles on them, but still Mm -hmm. the Cadillac has a hundred thousand miles. So I see you taking care of this long term. He also gives us two different lists. The first list is things he doesn't like. (laughs) There were lists, folks. There were lists, yeah. He realizes that all of this requirements means Prius. The Prius would do all of these things, I have to say. You're you're right. What I appreciate is the self-awareness, Tyler, that you got through all of this and you went, am I writing the wrong podcast? Followed by, I should get a Prius, shouldn't I? You were aware of both of those things. He's not driving a Prius. He says his MOF won't let him drive a Prius, and he just can't do it. So that is out. Have you seen the new Prius, Tyler? There, uh, anyway, the side note. Right. Yeah, moving on, yeah. As far as German cars, he prefers Mercedes and BMWs. It would have to be one of those two. He says Nissan products are not for him. Okay. No detail there. 
The Stellantarians, he's got a little bias against them, but... <laughs> You know, his wife likes Jeeps and her family's been getting family discounts for decades, being from Metro Detroit. Subaru, he is strangely turned off by them. They're kind of boring. And he's mm. also bored with the Kia Stinger. He thinks it focuses on performance and he's more focused on comfort and efficiency. That was informative for me. Mm-hmm. That the Stinger is something he brought up and was like, you know, that's actually too sporty focused. I was like, okay, I see where we are. The things that Tyler likes. Genesis is very high on his list. Mm. He mentions a lot of hybrids that are currently on the market. Newer cars like the Accord Hybrid hybrid Touring, Mm -hmm. the Camry Hybrid, the Corolla Hybrid, Sonata Hybrid. The Elantra is now a hybrid. Starts at $24,550. He does mention the new Honda Civic. And then he also has Volvo S60 and S90s on his list. I want to make a note that S60 hybrids start on Volvo's website at about $51,000. So just... It's just an observation. Mm-hmm. We're coming back to that price point just a little bit later. Okay. Now, Tyler and his wife don't have any dogs or kids. They're dinks. Okay. <laughs> they like road trips. Clearly you've listed all these cars and all of them would be great. Mm-hmm. I think you'd like maybe one feature little thing over another, maybe go investigate Genesis. The G 70 is excellent. So is the G 80. That's a large car that I think you'd really enjoy. Mm hmm based on what you've told us, but whether it's the Accord hybrid or a Corolla hybrid or the Sonata hybrid, I think all those are pretty comparable and they'll give you the fuel efficiency and a quiet car and you won't be spending more than 40 grand on them. Those are all excellent choices. Mm -hmm. Sure. But they're not the unique choice that I hear you write to us about. Well, and I also, they're, they're not the, you want to drive across the country? Saw miles choice either. I mean, you can. You could. You yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. They'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll drive a Lotus across country. We'll drive a, our, our <laughs> G86. Yeah, we'll drive a G86 <laughs> across country. I mean, that's, we're willing to do it. But what I see here, what, I, what, what is overwhelming me when I read Tyler's email is, if only the Phaeton were reliable and, <laughs> and, and efficient and affordable <laughs> for a good one. And it's none of those things. Please don't that's get a Phaeton. True. But I was just like, that's your car, Tyler. Is you a smaller engine in that? Germany? They put all the engines on that one in Germany. Yeah, all okay, of them. So Volkswagen ship one over had. Yeah, and, terrifying. Right. But I actually, what's funny is his list of cars he was considering. I didn't even go through it. I hit one of the cars on that list and and just stuck before I even saw that list. And I'm going to stay right with one car. Oh, I have a cho- I have a sniper shot that, I, and I'm done <laughs> because I just kept th- seeing Phaeton and knowing that wasn't the answer, and it led me to a, a car we've driven and we love. But I, I, the big takeaway I have here is I just see Tyler and the woman he loves. Let's go a couple states away. I okay. just felt that overall. <clears throat> all right. All right. I, it's on your list, but it's, uh, it's one and done for me, Tyler. And that is the Volvo S60 T8. It's all of the numbers and letters. This is Volvo taking their little two-cylinder Putting a turbo and a supercharger and a, and a uh, four, hybrid system. Four-cylinder, right? Uh, sorry. Sorry. They're two-liter. Two-liter <laughs> four-cylinder. Two-liter four-cylinder. Yeah. They're two-liter four-cylinder. Sorry. I, I would Thank love you it for if it two-cylinder. No, it's not. That would be the, awesome. The two-liter four-cylinder. Sorry about that. <laughs> with, with the turbocharger and the supercharger yeah, yeah. and the hybrid system. So it's 400 horsepower, 480 pound-feet of torque. It is plug-in hybrid. It is. We, we drove it on our test drive channel. And when we drove it, I mentioned that people often ask me what is a modern equivalent of the experience of the Phaeton, and I singled out that car. Interesting. Okay. This is, look, it's going to be the majority of your budget, but again, this is where I come back to. I think you are driving the Volvo so much and liking it so much for what you need it to do that I think the Caddy gets driven less, and the Montero gets driven I only mean, when you need it. His MOF will be driving of the course. Caddy. That's yes. going to be But it's car. going to be the primary yeah. road trip car, and, and it is comfortable, quiet, efficient, mm. nice, understated it is an atypical choice it's not the i got the german bomber it's true that's but true. it is a yeah. fantastic place to be i settled on that in my head before i even got to your list of considerations tyler and the, I, I looked at it and was like i'm staying right there s s60 t8 it's all the numbers and letters so you're thinking about new or used well, if you can get, look, if you can get a used one, get a used one. You're, you're a guy that doesn't have a problem with used cars. True. Get it for true, a little bit cheaper. True, Great. Yeah. You may have to get a new one because they're not that common. And, not, and if you get a new one, it's going to blow most of your budget. And I get that. I would love for you to find one a year old or two old or just coming off lease. Because then you, then you do the thing that you want, Tyler, which is you really want a deal. But I also okay. think that's okay. your car. 
So we're talking 40, 50, somewhere in there? Yeah, I think so. And okay. then, okay. then you right. make decisions. I think that car is also going to color what you get next and when you get next. And that's down the road. Yes, we're just for focusing sure. on yep. this. So Liberty's gone. Montero stays. Cadillac is in the driveway. And now we're shopping. Tyler, I went back okay. to the third generation BMW 7 Series built from 1994 to 2001. Those are so pretty. They're just so cool. They're fantastic. Every so often, you see one pop-up that was really taken care of. And the tech is old. On the other hand, I think some of them still had cassette players, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> Do you still have your cassettes, Tyler? Because you're going to need just, to get some. Just saying. Yeah. But a, like a 97 740 IL. Made very famous in the Pierce Brosnan era of yeah. James Bond. There's a guy in my neighborhood that has a pristine one that he pulls out every now and then. He's got a teenage son. Only really? when the weather's perfect, they pull this thing out. This is a guy who, who he's in construction. He builds very nice homes in Park City. He drives monster trucks. So does his wife. Everything they have is huge. And every now and then, he has a black one, tan interior. And I see he and his teenage son trading off driving on a nice day on the weekend. And Seriously. it stops me every time I see it. It's gorgeous. It's fantastic. It's gorgeous. I've always loved those yeah, things. Yeah, they're gorgeous. It's got the V8 there you're looking for. Mm-hmm. It's got the huge car thing. Quiet. I think it had double pane glass. Don't know. They were awesome. And you're not going to be spending 40 grand. So you'll save money now. You said you don't mind putting high miles on sure, German sure. cars and you're going to do the preventative maintenance. If you find a good one, sure, you can take those to 250,000 miles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're going to cost money. And yeah, you're going to work on it. Yeah. You'll pay less up front and then start saving for whatever the Cadillac replacement is. Then I moved on to one of my favorite places, which is Park Place Limited in Bellevue, Washington. Paul finds really nice <laughs> stuff on there, but I will warn you, none of it is inexpensive. Well, very nice. Well, very, very nice. 2008 Mercedes-Benz AMG E63 with 50,000 miles for about $36,000. Okay. All right. 36 or 32. Let's see here. It what was, year? Nope. It was 32,950. It's a 2008 okay. E63 AMG sedan. Okay. All right. With 50,000 miles for 32,950. Okay. I see you. 50,000 miles. That was the one that had the start stop button on the top of the shift lever. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. 6.3 yeah, yeah, yeah. liter V8. But can you stand in the coffee shop and rev it from across the parking lot? Because well, the, the Mustang's bringing that. Because <laughs> we need it. We need remote rev. <laughs> yes, we do. Anyway. Look, aromatic air suspension, giant Brembo brakes, heated front seats, long list of options. Mm-hmm. And by the way, tech can be upgraded or, again, just mount your phone on a phone holder and use your phone <laughs> as nav. I like it. It feeds your V8 and German car addiction thing. I like it, yeah. Then I went to a crazy wild card. Okay. Because you did say you're attracted to BEVs. Mm-hmm. What about a used Tesla Model S, like a 75D with 50,000 miles for $36,000? But I, I don't know, because it, will his life allow him to do enough? Now, at least the Tesla's got the good charging system. I will, I will see does. that. Yeah, it does. For sure. And you said you've got a wall in your house already for a 240-volt charger. Right. That's true. Ready to go. That's a toe in the pool to start experiencing EVs. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd like it, but I don't think you'd like it for long enough, because you're mm-hmm. long-term mm-hmm. guy. So my craziest wild card to date. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited. All right. Yeah. Remember that $51,000 price point that I suggested earlier? I, I remember that. Yes. If you're considering the Volvo S60 hybrid that starts at 51, mm-hmm. the other kinds of cool cars that are also $51,000 is a 2015 BMW i8. Okay. All right. Tyler, you said you don't have kids. You don't have dogs. <laughs> you're just the two of okay. you. All right. How about one for with 67,000 miles in Fairfax, Virginia? 51 grand. They're German. They're hybrid. They are built for the Autobahn. You said you wanted an Autobahn bomber. Mm. It's where it was born. Mm-hmm. They're fairly fuel efficient. They have different drive modes. And what a conversation piece. I, that is a really good wild card. It's wild for sure. Yeah. They're not a V8. You said you love true, efficiency, true. though. Yeah, yeah. It's got a 1.5 liter inline three-cylinder engine with 228 horsepower. And then a 129-horsepower electric motor for a combined 357 horsepower, which is great. Mm -hmm. It's not that big V8, though, with lots of future maintenance. I believe the maintenance is probably going to be less. That's just a guess. I could be totally wrong. Mm -hmm. But those cars are just coming off their first ownership. 
Sure. For the most sure. part, okay, the owners right. who have bought them in mm-hmm, 2015, mm-hmm. 2016, they've got fifty to 60,000 miles, and those owners are kind of looking at what's next. Interesting. You have the opportunity to become second owner of these cars that have been loved. 20,000 of these cars were built. I didn't know in my you research. You just never see them. You, you never, never see them. them. And, and look, I'll go, I'll go someplace really crazy. That may be one of the only cars I've ever seen. I know. Brace yourself. Please hang on to something tight. That I think looks best in white. I'll give you that because of the surface breakup. With, with surface breakup. And, and all the white ones had like the blue accents. It was the same yeah. way they first released yeah. the concept. And, I never, and I've seen that car in some cool colors. I've never seen a color. The blue's really nice too. So is the orange. Anyway. <laughs> They're but, all great. But, but honestly, the white has those little BMW, the M color, tricolor accents. And that car looks best in white. That is, put a stamp on it. I don't know what podcast number this is, but that, I'm putting it down <laughs> okay, right now. Wow. Yeah. Look, Tyler, you said you wanted satisfaction for spending money on the sales tax that you know you're never going to get back. I think that car would be satisfying. It's a GT car. Mm. You can take, they're designed for road trips. Yeah. I mean, thank God you don't have, I mean, they're not just tied to being an electric. So they, they have they're flexibility. Not. I see it. They've I see got it. flexibility. And as far as hybrids go, brand new hybrid technology has surpassed this car. Already. Of course. Yes. Yes. So yes. the range in electric only, I believe is around only 15 miles. It's not much. Yeah. But the combined fuel efficiency is mm. 76 MPGE. They get about 28 to 35, I think, depending on your driving, just on the gas motor only, which yeah. by modern standards, most cars get about 28 to 35 right now. They like, are super cool. I, you, and you're in a place I did cool. not expect. I, all right. All right. Low rolling resistance tires. This is going to be comfort. It's got sport, comfort, and eco modes. So yes, you can just cruise. It's not the biggest, heaviest car ever, but it's not a small sports car. No. And this is built for you and your wife. Hmm. I8, go shop BMW i8s for 51, for the same Volvo S60 hybrid money. You can get an i8, my friend. That is very interesting. I did not expect you to be there, but I I didn't either. Now I'm suddenly looking at i8s going, huh. <laughs> it's not like they're suddenly on sale. It's no. not like a fire sale on i8s, but they've come down. Those early ones have come down in price enough. Mm-hmm. You never hear about them, and they're the kind of car that would generally have fewer miles on it. Well, and, and than other cars of the same year. The big critique of that car when it came out, and I will admit I haven't driven one, but love to. But the big critique when that car came out is it wasn't sporty and dynamic enough for what people expected when they were car journalists driving it as an exotic uh, sure. grand tour. Sure. But none of that matters for Tyler. Exactly. So in that regard, it's a fantastic looking futuristic thing that would be perfect on a highway. That's interesting. Kind of on sale. Kind of. Ish. <laughs> on sale. Uh, that is a really strong wild card. Well I done. Hate. We all want to talk about the go fast parts. We're thinking of putting on our vehicles, but what about the stop fast parts? Brakes are an essential part of your vehicle's maintenance, and upgrading is better than just simply replacing. You can transform your vehicle into a stopping powerhouse with a power stop brake upgrade kit that includes carbon ceramic brake pads, drilled and slotted rotors, and all the stainless steel hardware that you need to complete your upgrade. PowerStop is on a mission to provide a complete and affordable brake upgrade kit for pretty much every vehicle on the road. If you tow, they have that. Off-road, track days, they have all that as well. They even have kits for brand new vehicles like our Toyota GR86. Take care of your brakes and even improve them by heading to PowerStop.com and entering your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder that'll match you with the right brake kit for your vehicle. Jacob just wrote to us recently. He loves our videos. Jacob, really appreciate it. Thanks for watching, man. It's cool. He is pretty new to cars, and he says our videos is hel- are helping him understand differences between cars and what to look for in a great car. Jacob is currently research- researching which coupe to replace his four-door SUV as the daily. Okay. But he's having the biggest dilemma choosing between manual and automatic. Hmm. Jacob, most people when they're shopping right now, I'll say most car enthusiasts kind of know what they want to shop for already. Mm. It's, I'm fascinated that you're kind of open to either. Yeah. That's well, what struck me. But what's also interesting about this is, is I definitely get the sense, Jacob, because you're kind of new to this terrible car disease we're all wonderfully inflicted with, <laughs> that, that you're aware that the zeitgeist of car people is, well, you have to get a manual. You just yeah. have to. You're aware of that. Yeah. But that hasn't been your life experience. And so you're actually, you're actually at that crossroads of, I don't know that my life lends itself to a manual, but I'd really like to have one. That's interesting. 
This is going to be his first sports car he's shopping for. He's in his early 20s, just started his career. And so he asks which transmission we think pairs best with the 2018 and newer Mustang GT. Mm. Jacob will be using it for daily commutes to work in the city. He doesn't tell us where. I don't think he tells us where he's located. I haven't seen it. He's near a city. And he's going to be doing periodic spirited driving on mountain roads and tracks. I wonder okay. if he's in California somewhere. Maybe. But, but at least you have access to good roads. This isn't, I'm in the middle of just grid. Mm-hmm. You have options, which is good. On test drives, he's really enjoyed the constant torque and queer quick gear switching in the automatic. He's never found automatics terribly boring as he busies himself with music and podcasts. But he's also seen very satisfying gear rowing on YouTube. And it <laughs> looks like so much fun. It is so much fun, Jacob, for sure. It, it's really fun. He's definitely influenced by movies and has always thought of manuals and classic sports cars as one package. Mm. Mm, okay. For the most part, you're not off base, but he's afraid it will become bothersome on drives with bad traffic or when he wants to take his mind off of driving. Mm. So he asks us, do we think it's worth getting a manual with this car as his first sports car and his first manual car ever? Mm. Or should he get an automatic because it's the safer choice? He's been eyeing the GR86 and he's open to all kinds of car suggestions other than Mustang. Other than Mustang, but he definitely looked at the Mustang. The other thing that comes up here, he mentioned, you've been doing some digging, haven't you, Jacob? And I like it. <laughs> he mentioned that a lot of current Mustang owners or Mustang fans acknowledge the fact that that era of Mustang has a manual that a lot of people don't like. Now, I want to speak to that real quick, Jacob. You're right. That is a manual that people haven't loved. And then there's the 10-speed automatic that people have actually liked quite a bit. It was co-developed with GM. There's good programming on it. It's not, Look, I, I would rather have the manual, but it is a very good 10-speed. Okay, so a lot of people prefer the 10-speed to that era of manual. What's interesting is once they got to the GT350, the manual got changed, and that's also the ones in the Mach 1, and we do like that. That is a very good one. It is. So, yeah. But you're also coming with no manual experience. And I think fantastic, man. Let's go. Let's just go there. S2000, one of the best manuals ever. Fair. Or one of the world's best automatics. You're still going to be sitting and stop and go traffic is what it sounds like. And so my question for okay. you is, okay. what is your amount of sitting in traffic that you do? You don't say. I, I don't know if we're talking about That's the 405 unclear. for yeah. two hours a day. Because if so, please get an auto. Just just save having yeah. a misbalanced left leg. Just just get an auto, okay? <laughs> but if it's like, I may hit traffic every now and then, then get a manual. But I think you really gotta, you've got to drill down here, Jacob, and figure out how much are you going to sit still or creep because that's what, where manuals are not fun. They just get annoying. Now, you and I like manuals enough. Mm-hmm. I'll do that in a manual. For sure. I'd rather sure. not. And I've said it many, many times. I would not own a Lotus if I commuted on the 405. So, so you haven't been clear enough. On, and that's, that's fine. You haven't been clear enough on how much you sit in traffic. But if this was 80%, it's going to be sitting in traffic, bumper to bumper, honking, crawling. And then 20%, I might drive it for fun. Let's just go automatic mm-hmm. and give you a car you'll like more. Because what I don't want you to do is to sit in traffic in your manual sports car. And a weekend, you're like, oh. I hate having to shift this thing while I do this. And, and only you can answer that. That's a great point. We just don't know the percentage, the, the breakup. Because on one hand, if that is the case, and you're going to be spending a lot of time in traffic, and it's just going to be the occasional spirited drive, I'd say get an automatic. But I also don't want you to be afraid of buying a manual. Agreed. And I don't want you to put it off with subsequent future car purchases. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to say, well, the automatics really worked for me and Mm -hmm. the time has come around again. I'm thinking about another sports car. I guess I'll just go ahead and play it safe and just get an automatic. That is the concern. I agree. Because if you do get a manual, let's say you do Mm -hmm. whatever car you buy. Yeah. So you do. And Todd's right. Ah, this... I shouldn't have listened to Todd and Paul. I should have gotten an automatic. (laughs) Others have said that, by the way. Yeah. Uh (laughs) This sucks. I can't believe I did this. Buyer's remorse. Can you last six months with it? Could you go Mm. a full year? Just to have the experience. Because I want you to gain the skill and the experience of having a manual so you know when and where it fits in your life. Mm -hmm. And then when you do get older and you do have more money and maybe you do get into a bit of track driving and 
Maybe you want an automatic or a PDK for track driving, or maybe, you know what? I really prefer prefer the purity of a manual, and I, mm-hmm. I just want to have that as a separate car. And then maybe the debate in the future branches off into two cars, and now we're talking sure. commute sure. and a manual. You've got some sort of hybrid or fun car mm-hmm. or, or com- commuter car, and then the fun car is just a small GR86 or a Miata. Or, you know what I mean? Well, that's not where we're at quite yet, and so I not? hesitate to just say go get a manual because I'm concerned about the traffic right now. I am too, And the but the thing that you – just touched on Paul that I makes me want to circle back to something Jacob said. He said, you kind of are concerned about having an auto so that you can have moments when you take your mind off driving. This is the interesting thing about owning a manual though. You can reach a place where it does fade into the background. Now you've got to own one and drive it all the time for it to happen, but True. you can absolutely reach a place where it doesn't matter that it's a manual. It is, it can be something that you can, and this is what's fascinating about a manual transmission. You can engage with it and nail your shifts and heel toe down shifts and hit them all perfectly and be wonderful. But you can also get to a place where it becomes subconscious and you're having a conversation or listen to a podcast or navigating traffic. And you didn't even think about the fact that, oh, I need third now. And you're, you're not shifting at 6,000 RPM. And, and, and you're just, oh, shifting. now I got to shift again. And it's, yeah. it's not annoying. Now, it's annoying in stop and go, I will acknowledge. But, in, True. It, but you can definitely reach a place where if you have a manual for long enough, it can become subconscious and it can fade into the background. So I don't want you to be cautious of a manual transmission because you think you'll always be thinking about it. Yeah. You can think yeah. about it, but you can also just ignore that it's a thing and you still drive it. This is a tough one. And again, it comes down to your percentage, the breakup of what kind of driving you're going to be doing. Only you can answer that. So right now, based on your email for you, I am recommending an automatic. Okay. But is there a way, let's say you do get an automatic Mustang and you love Mm -hmm. it and it's great. Is there a way simultaneously to go start pursuing some manual driving, either Mm -hmm. through a forum or friends or a car club or some other method where you're starting to experiencing it? And the other thing is, you're saying this is your first sports car. Mm. You're new to this whole car thing. I don't want you to look at whatever you get next as, this is it. Very good. Yes. This is it. I got to have this for like five or 10 years. This Mm -hmm. is it. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. You can have it for a year. You can have it for eight months and be like, you know what? That was a good experience. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that. I am ready for what's next. And Mm -hmm. I know now that I definitely want a manual good that eight months has been worth it yeah, the money yeah, spent yeah. And the sales tax you spent was absolutely worth it because that is informed your decision so give yourself permission i encourage you to give yourself permission mm-hmm. to not look at this as the the holy grail the special this is the forever car this is my the sports yeah, car yeah. sure you're always going to look back and like yeah my first sports car my actual first sports car was a mustang it was cool i didn't have it very long because i went on to blank sure well that that comes right back to something that i want you to do jacob and that is please do not buy a mustang without test driving lots of other sports car options you may still end up with a mustang that's fine there's nothing wrong with them but but mustangs and camaros are the two cars i can think of that when people buy one early in life they stop buying other things that's an interesting point. Well, this is my sixth Mustang. Did you ever dri- drive a Camaro? <laughs> oh, I've had I've had four Camaros in a row. You know, I had one when I was well, in then college, and then I got married, removal, and, and, then, I, and then I, you know, when I got yeah. back to buying sports cars, I only bought Camaros. <laughs> so, so please yeah. drive a competitive Cam- Camaro to the Mustang. Please drive a GR86. Please drive an MX5 Miata. True. And then yes. I have one for you, Jacob, that I think would be perfect for you. And that is, I don't. You haven't told us your budget. So I'm just guessing, okay? So they may be a little bit out of your budget, but you know what car I think would be great for you is a two-liter Supra. Oh, that's good. Only comes in auto, has a turbo, very modern, fantastic dynamics. It's a nice balance. Where where is that car's not in your consideration and it should be. So these are this is my drive homework for you is yes, Mustang fine, but drive the Camaro. You must drive a Camaro. For sure. So for you sure. can you can say I bought a Mustang and I've driven a Camaro, but then <laughs> MX5 GR86 and the 2 liter Supra because what I think you'll do in driving all of those is you'll start to be aware of their differences. So whatever one you buy, let's say you buy that automatic Mustang in that 8 months or year, you can go, yeah, you know what else I really liked when I was test driving? Because I'm worried about finding a rut early on. Mm. And 10 years mm. from now, you've only owned the Mustang. And maybe I'll get another Mustang. Or, and there's nothing wrong with Mustangs. But those are cars that start ruts. So I want you to branch out early. 
great questions on all of the social media platforms. We always ask for questions right before we do this podcast. So we record on Mondays and Thursdays for podcast releases on Tuesdays and Fridays. All of the social media platforms we post for questions. Sometimes we pull them off of Discord, but I can't promise that. But thank you to all of the Discord commentary. If you're one of our patrons, you're on Discord. There's a fantastic platform that goes on there. Lots of conversation. I try to hop on there and I lurk a bit. And then every now and then I come in with a sniper shot comment <laughs> and go, hi, I'm here, uh, which <laughs> is pretty awesome. fun too. But it's a very fun thing. But thank you for all of the questions. I'm going to start here with Anthony Zerg, who's he's asking one of those can of worms questions. Okay. He mm-hmm. says, ignoring cost, which would you choose? Our GR86 or Ferrari F8? Holy which is moly. only available in auto. If you could only ever drive it on the road at the speed limit. Ooh. Now, Anthony, first off, I will admit I have not driven a Ferrari F8, so I have to put that out there right now. But I have driven Ferraris around the F8. I have driven other Ferraris, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to extrapolate here and say the following. You are asking a question about fun all the time, mm-hmm. not flash and top speeds and extremes. And at normal, everyday pace, at commute pace, at, at the conversation we just had here for Jacob where we're talking about commuting – Something like the GR86 and the Miata is always going to be more fun than the Ferrari because it's at those slow paces where you really worry about those cars. I'm commuting. I'm yeah. going to run errands. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going. you know, we're going 40 right now because tra- traffic's bogged down a little bit. GR86, I'm like, and? The Ferrari, yeah. I'm like, easy, 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 stay back. Nope, no, no, <laughs> yep, yep. And, you, and, the, and the car's bored. That's true. You're not you're not pulling anything out of it. And what's funny about my Lotus is in this category, the GR86, the Miata, those cars are fun in first gear. <laughs> I accelerated yeah. from a light earlier coming over here to you and I yeah. passed two people. Yes, I passed in GR86. I passed two people getting on the freeway and got up to freeway speeds and it I didn't look. There's a dozen cars that could have gotten up to freeway speed faster than me, but the car just felt light doing it. And I just went from a stop, stoplight, beginning of the on-ramp, to freeway speeds. And just that, through the gears, I wasn't hammering. Yeah. But I was yeah. like, that was just satisfying. And those big, high-power exotics, they don't give you satisfaction like that. 100% agree. Those are excellent points. I'm with you on the GR86. And cost aside, I just want something that's going to run. So clearly, GR86. <laughs> wow. That was a shot. Let's see. You should answer John McInnes' question about movies. How much does proper editing in a film impact its success? You've seen many movies that the actor and actress performance was outstanding, but the film didn't hold up. Well, but you're also asking a question beyond editing. I think you're asking a question about story. As oh, well. the plot. Yes. And, and a bad story can never be saved by really good shooting and great acting. It, 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 the editor can't save it. It can't? What, but the, the, <laughs> the standard... <laughs> this is news to me. Many have tried. But anyway. Uh, but, but <laughs> Matrix. I mean, come on. No, no, no actually, the, look. It the, had a great plot. The, they, had, they had good story stuff going on there. They I get agree. worse over the course of it. But it was a separate thing. film, Jason Bourne. Come anyway, on. Yes. Bring, bring all those movies. So, so endings matter. Story matters. But I will say this. There is, a, there is a standard joke, because it's not really a joke, and that is editing is the last rewrite. You can have 45 versions of your script, and then you shot it on the day. The editor gets in there and goes, that line's not working, and he kills it. We have this struggle, and it, honestly, it's a struggle with our own pieces, because we typically have far more commentary than we're going to include, but we don't want to get repetitive, and we don't want to get stuff wrong, even though we do now and then. And we want to make sure it feels tight and compelling and you want to stick around. So stuff gets cut. I'm I'm working on the South piece right now. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. the rough timeline of our South trip (laughs) is over two hours. I can't believe that. I promise you, it's not a good two hours. I'm not saying that that is like, (laughs) I should put that out. That's going to be a great. No, I promise you it's not strong enough that it's going to need tightening. Editors are unsung heroes of the process because they really find hopefully a good editor will find the meat and the real refining that makes a story work but the the reverse is also true a bad editor can kill it uh uh-huh, yeah because yeah. pacing is wrong look you you can change as an editor the pacing of how someone speaks and you can take a really good performance and make it bad because why is the pacing like that? And vice versa. I had a person whose interview I cut years ago, and I'm not claiming editorial genius here, but I had a person whose, whose interview I cut years ago, and they were a university professor. They were a person that spoke and was respected and spoke to classes 
and were published and this kind of thing. Okay. But their whole interview was, so I was uh, thinking about what I was going to tell you. Um, and this topic, uh, I cut out 60 ums in a three-minute cut down. You kidding me? Because I was hell bent on making this person not seem like they couldn't speak. Wow. So editors yeah. matter. Editors do matter. On Twitter, Randy C says, it doesn't seem like there's much advertising about leasing anymore. It's because most people have figured out what a ripoff it is. <laughs> Whoa. Another <laughs> shot. You're you're slinging today. <laughs> I'm slinging. Randy says, is leasing a good way to get into your first EV and lower the stress level? Well, yes, actually, with EVs in particular, I do see your point because EVs are very expensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, all cars are expensive these days, right? EVs are pretty expensive, and the one you want might just be out of reach. It really does help, and you've heard this for years, that leasing is really great for businesses or anything that has high turnover vehicles mm -hmm. and you want to use them for tax purposes, tax write-offs. That is the benefit of leasing. There, there are benefits really is if you have the money and you really like trading out after a couple of years mm -hmm. if and that you just want to you, experience yeah. the new thing, but it does cost you money, especially those get into the, the initial payment to get into the lease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Usually it's, it's no longer zero money down anymore. It's yeah. usually 3,500 to five grand just yeah. to enter into the lease. So you can have the privilege of starting to make payments. You could do that too by buying a car, but I do see mm -hmm. your point for mm -hmm. EVs. I think it is applicable to EVs more than it ever has been for the rest of cars. Buy it. The technology is moving so fast on EVs. I see the logic there for sure. BamQP asks on Instagram, any chance that non-patron subscribers will get a spot on our U.S. Adventures this summer? I want to speak to this directly because we've had this conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, we love our patrons. We, we really appreciate those supporters. As I've already said, they have access to our Discord, which is very, very fun. The upper-level folks are on a call with us once a, once a month, which reminds me you and I need to do that call. Yeah, we do. But that's always a whole lot of fun. We actually thoroughly enjoy that. We've, got, we've gained some really good friends through Discord and through Discord and our patrons. Many people have met new car friends, gone on trips that have nothing to do with us it's it's a fantastic community cool it's a thing yeah. however it is important to us that that is not a requirement to interact with this show mm -hmm. so i want i want you to know how important it is to us but also that it is not required and we are making sure that this year because patrons as we feel like is necessary get access to these signups for these trips first it's one of the little perks of being a patron however we have made sure that there will be slots available for first timers on all of these trips just to allow people that oh, I, I'm not a patron or I didn't know about that and I can't get in yet or I wasn't there on the day the signups opened up because this past year they went quick. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. we will have some first-timer things available, so hopefully you will fill one of them. Or you could become a patron. Gary the Cycling Nerd asks if we've given any thoughts to VinFast. They're poised to be the first Vietnamese manufacturer sold in North America by 2025. They're a bit odd-looking, he says, but perhaps they'll prove to be good competition. Maybe so. It. I'm actually more intrigued by the ecosystem from which VinFast, the entire company, produces vehicles. Mm. It, it's almost like cars are sort of an afterthought. Mm -hmm. It's a huge ecosystem of, of lifestyle. <laughs> go Vin read life. about, seriously, go read about the company, the founder. It's absolutely fascinating. And then the entire leasing model, leasing is maybe the wrong word, but you're really leasing the battery so you're able to swap out and upgrade and keep your same car bit of a different take on yeah. the entire EV industry. And that way it takes away the anxiety about batteries, the life going down. And Well, and, know, I, and I've heard they may, they may have to cave on that for U.S. buyers because U.S. buyers are like, what the heck is this now? I mean, this is going to be an uphill battle. <laughs> Let's talk about leasing. It's, it's a fascinating reality, it. yeah. Jared Rose 1 has a track daily crush. Did you see this? He actually has a daily drive track or crush, which is the same idea. But anyway, General Lee Charger the Smokey and the Bandit Trans Am, Ooh. or the Bullet Mustang. Ooh. Now, you know what? I, I'm going to be that guy and say I would love, love to daily the General Lee Charger. That would be pretty fun. The problem is that it's a little, uh, the, the General Lee Confederate flag on the top now, you, you're making a statement. I, I'm just driving a movie car. Uh, I'm sure. just driving a car that if I think is fun from my childhood. Sure, sure, but, sure. but there is that big Confederate flag on the roof and General Lee on the side. And I'm just driving a cool orange car from my childhood. <laughs> right. So right. I would daily drive the General Lee Charger. The Smokey and the Bandit Trans Am only looked fast in movies. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But that was the worst era of those cars. So why don't I track the Bullet Mustang? Let's see. Andrew Owen asks, which car we think served as the pinnacle of the supercar? For example, older Ferraris are raw and mechanical, mm. but unreliable 
and potentially not dynamic. Only old Ferraris, huh? By today's standards, you're just you're coming out swinging today. <laughs> hey, by the way, I I would like to say mm. that I love the new Ferrari 296 GTB. It's I very think cool. it is spectacular. Mm-hmm. I like that it's a hybrid. I think it's incredible. I want a 296 GTB. I want this car in my life. They're four hundred thousand dollars, so They're, that's out. <laughs> okay. But still, so meanwhile, yeah, I back in really reality, like them. I understand. And yes. I I think right now Ferrari is doing the most amazing cars. In in all of their history, they're wow, equal, okay. they're equal to all the okay. the, the good stuff that Ferrari is known for. Stuff, I think sure. they dipped for a while, but I think they've really come back. I like the Puro Sang a lot. I like the two ninety six. I like a lot of the styling right now. I think they're on a roll. They're doing good. I'm teasing them. You still throw elbows where it's necessary. I understand. But, yeah, you know, I get it. When uh, Ferrari shows up to track day and it breaks after two laps, you know, you you notice, <laughs> and the Porsche's still going around the track. Oh, speed, I see where so. we're going. Yeah, just saying. Anyway. His question is, modern Ferraris, they're marvels of engineering, but might have lost soul and emotion and connection due to this, you know, the lack of the raw feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little tough to say. And speaking particularly of Ferraris, we haven't driven all of them. Mm -hmm. True, true. We've driven some of them. Some of them have been older, and I I actually really love them. You know me. I love the Mondial. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm in love with that car. I would happily own a Mondial. That gated, that gated shifter, I've said it before, the gated shifter was kind of the Ferrari magic. That added a real soul to their cars that has been lost since. But anyway. The fact that the Puro Sang still has, I believe it's a 6.3 liter V12. <laughs> Not a whole lot of V12s out there anymore. Yeah. No, uh-huh. yeah. that just sounds amazing. And it sounds like what Ferrari is doing is still trying, they're aware of this, Andrew. They're preserving that, as much as they can while still going modern and adding tech and mm-hmm. having modern mm-hmm. amenities because not having those kinds of things is not okay to their buyers. Yeah. But of course, I think those buyers still want emotion out of their cars. And I think they're, in some instances, they've explored it. I don't think the F8 was very emotional. I don't think it's that mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. The SF90 is kind of getting there. The SF90 is a million-dollar car. <laughs> there was that? the day at the Park City Car Club where two showed up. They're and like, I was like, I, I'm sorry, about, about, I'm sorry. We officially reached a crazy place. they $900,000 each. Yes, it's crazy. They're, that's starting to approach it. But for me, a little bit less, a little bit entry-level, 296. It's not entry-level price. I know that. But, but, but for that world, In I see the it, pantheon yeah. of Ferraris, that's yes. sort of like, welcome to Ferrari. <laughs> First I, time here? Yeah, exactly. I think we could allow you to come in, but so, you can't have a coffee. That seems the styling is emotional. It's hearkening back to the 250s, and I think that is excellent. And I think the ability with modern tech to change steering ratios and change... Mm-hmm. Uh, suspension settings and change throttle response and all those kinds of things. They'll, they'll still continue to push on that. I still think that that will influence that and, uh, and bring those out in modern Ferraris. Interesting. I have high hopes. Austin Shredder asks a question that really quickly spirals off into examine how your life is structured to see if it works. But his question is, how can a two-seat sports car be part of the family if you have kids? And then he asks me directly, he said, how on earth do I keep a lease in my life when it only fits two and it only barely fits two? He said he'd like to know opinions on how on earth this, this works. Austin, there's, there's, the big thing here is this takes navigation of what you and your spouse's day looks like. Because we have our Porsche Cayenne, which we've had for a long time. My wife loves it. It still drives really well. Coming up 160,000 miles. Amazing. It's done phenomenally well. It's required maintenance, but it had very few surprises, and it continues to run great. That's awesome. But there have been plenty of times my wife and I have talked about our day and realized, oh, you need to take the sports car, honey, because I'm going to end up picking up our son later. Or the transition happens where I take him to school, and then I've got, you know what? I, I took him to school in the sports car, and that worked out. But I'm going to take the dogs later, so I need the Cayenne this afternoon. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a constant discussion. Remember the wall of keys? Anyway, it's a constant discussion <laughs> about – and again, I've got access at this point. I'm spoiled. I've got access to more things. But keep in mind, the 300ZX, two-seater. The GR86, my son's now 13. It's a two-seater. So, you know, the Lotus. So, so the reality is there's also only three of us. I understand if you have four or five or six or however many in your family, it gets harder. But it's a discussion of who needs the family car win and then the other – Parent gets to drive the fun car. It is possible. There's a lot of schedule movement. 
Akim Nichols says, when it's when you're wrapping a car, is it okay to do the hood in fake carbon fiber? I saw this. That's <laughs> a great question. Akim, Akim, come on, man. <laughs> All right. Even if you're honest about it and you just like the looks, he is asking for a friend. A Clearly, friend named Akim. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Back in the 90s, carbon fiber was painted. It was painted and covered up. Mm-hmm. You're right. The F40. Everybody yeah. just flipped out look you can see the weave through the paint oh man and it's painted over that's how thin it is but you hide it but you cover it you're right you're right and now it's sort of like you paint it over your carbon fiber what are you thinking (laughs) why would you do that you show it off so you've got you know street cred now if you like it you like it respect all builds right agreed agreed yeah and if if that's if it adds something to the car i will say cool even though Generally speaking, people would probably know, like, your hood wasn't ever made in carbon fiber, so I mm-hmm. understand. Now, the Porsche hood, okay, that's carbon fiber, but usually if it has to do with a high-performance car or something involving racing, nobody even thinks about it. Of course true. it's carbon fiber. True, true. Sure. But weirdly, I don't really like carbon fiber wheels because they're black. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. Respect yeah, them. Yeah. And I'm sure they're amazing, but I don't really want carbon fiber wheels, and that's just aesthetics. I do want them because of how light they are. Sure, sure. In that case, I'd probably paint over the carbon fiber. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, would there be questions. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say this to you. Can I make this request? I mean, yeah, do it if you want. Whatever. It's fine. But can you make the rest of the car a very serious color? Can we? I I don't want... Serious, like... No, I mean, I not, mean, like, not like bright color. No, or? it need, no it needs to be like, whoa, that's a color. Oh, that's oh, what I mean. Okay. Don't don't okay. do a black car with a carbon fiber wrapped hood. Yeah, don't agreed. do a silver car with a carbon fiber wrapped Fair. hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're going to do carbon fiber wrapped hood, I almost feel like now you're you're defending yourself. You're getting you're getting. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make this make sense, Akam. I'm gonna give you an excuse. No, it's for it's for reflection because the rest of the car is so bright. I just sure. want to I want to tone down the reflection. Uh-huh. So you know, yellows, oranges, purples, blues, something bright. And then a carbon fiber wrapped hood, I'll give you that. Acid green. Sure. Carbon fiber hood. Yeah. Guys, thank you for all your questions. We really appreciate it. Write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com for your Topic Tuesdays, car conclusions, and most of all your car debates. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Cheers, everyone.